Hello everyone, it's That Wings Guy back for yet another episode. We're recording on August the 10th at 7.55 p.m. Eastern Time. And we've been sitting here talking for like 30 minutes already and finally decided we should hit the record button. Because, uh, you know, that's the reason we do this. And joining me tonight are Cecil Birch. How are you doing, Cecil? Good, as always. Introduce yourself. I'm Cecil Birch. My I teach hand-to-hand and integrated with weapons. Uh, immediate Action Combatives is my traveling gig name, my brand name, and uh, I've been doing martial arts for this is my 45th year. All right, and you just and, some, recently... and for some reason, some people pay attention to me. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I keep having you back on the show so I can help. Like, maybe I'll figure it out. Why do people pay attention? To me? <laughs> It's a mystery. It's a mystery. We got to plumb the depths of the mystery. All right, now, Cecil, I'm going to help you help yourself. All right. Did you not just like quit your actual job and like open a business related to all this stuff that people may need to know about? Yes, I did. I I turned over the family business completely to my brother 11 months ago. Well, technically, it was not quite that far, but opened the my jujitsu academy 11 months ago, just over 11 months ago. This Monday was 11 months. Um, and so now I do this full time. I don't have to deal with the business suit anymore. I don't have to listen to clients whining about stuff I don't care about anymore. I get to do what I love and teach jujitsu and, and self-defense literally six days a week. See, love so it. that was the part where you're supposed to tell them what the name of your jujitsu academy is. And where it's <laughs> Nobody ever accused me of being a good salesman. When it comes to this kind of stuff, I always, I always feel super icky, but it, uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu North Phoenix is the name of the academy. So anybody in Phoenix or anybody traveling through Phoenix and wants to jump in, look us up. Uh, you can find us on Google, uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu North Phoenix, and everybody's welcome. Come on by. we got loaner geese if you've never done it before. I'd, I'd love to try to talk you at proselytizing to doing Jiu-Jitsu. So I'm good. All right. Guy? Hey, I'm Guy Schnitzler. Um, let's see. I'm one of those uh, mysterious people that follow Cecil around. In fact, I'm the only instructor authorized under him to teach his material. Um, but that's on top of me being a my own jiu-jitsu black belt through the Carlos Machado um, jiu-jitsu affiliation. Uh, 30, yeah, 30 years in law enforcement. Uh, nine with the Charlotte Maker PD. 21 now with the Federal Air Marshal Service. And um, uh, as soon as I, uh, I'm broken right now, and as soon as I get my uh, clearance from my doctors, my retirement packet's going in, and I'm going to open my own gym and teach combatives and jujitsu. Right. I was in a class one time that had a, another air marshal in it, and we had a long running debate as to what are the best nickname for you guys was Sky Pirates or Air Buccaneers. Which one do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> well, since um, I'm on the wings, that wings guy show, Sky Pirate is the best one for us. <laughs> okay, Sky. Yeah, and uh, uh, it may have been you, but it was either you or one of the other air marshals that I know. Like people ask him what he does for a living, and his answer was, "I re hijack planes." Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Uh, what was a professional sleep deprived tourist that re hijacks aircraft? So <laughs> that's what we do. And I yeah. said that at uh said that to, in a hits class years ago, and Daryl came up with the air buccaneers, and then we were in a class together. I was in a class, yeah. one of your classes, and it became Sky Pirate. So yeah. I'll answer to either one. 
There you go. <laughs> so. All right. So this term gets tossed around a good bit. And I don't know that I've ever actually heard a definition for it. And that's combatives. See, so what is combatives? Well, so as soon as I start to give a definition, people are going to be, somebody's going to be mad. Of course. Right? The, the, the problem with a lot of these is everyone's got their slight interpretation of it. But the way I think about it is combatives is just the actual physical application of hand-to-hand -hand fighting for self-defense. And that can encompass traditional martial arts. It can encompass combat sports. It can encompass gutter fighting or however, you know, eclectic street fighting type stuff. Um, some people get really in the weeds and like, oh, what was the one I used to hear? Um, martial arts is what you do with somebody and combat is what you do to somebody. And I'm like, no, that's not true. That's not true because even in the strictest traditional martial arts you're still trying to do something to somebody so I, I think combatives is what the idea of martial arts originally was we've got some kind of methodology some techniques some concepts to allow us to fight another human being when they can do whatever to try to kill us and we've got to come up with a way to not be killed and then where it became martial arts was as soon as somebody started to define it as doctrine and said, this is the way. And it's like, okay. And I guess you could say combatives was probably still that original root thing where there's not necessarily a doctrine. There's not really, there's not necessarily a dogma approach to combatives. So you have some guys who might be approaching it more from a striking perspective. Some people might be approaching it more from like knife, stick, impact weapons. Somebody approaching it from a grappling perspective. Um, somebody approaching it from, well, this was World War II or World War One hand to hand stuff, something like that. But I think the umbrella term combatives is just a good general one for defending yourself against a violent attack. With some with some systematic approach. Okay. Okay. For me, it's an, uh, a combatives is an integrated approach to fighting hand to hand with or without weapons. Um, so that can mean like Cecil said, weapons anywhere from a knife. Uh, I'm real fond of uh, saps and impact and jacks and impact weapons, and then involving the handgun, shotgun, and carbon also. All right. I guess that is one of the discussions or offshoots of it to have is at what point when weapons are involved, does it still become combatives? When I, when I say weapon, I mean firearms. Does it still become combatives? Yeah, Dave Spalding's business name was handgun combatives. Mm -hmm. See, I would see, I would argue that combatives is that as well. Even if you're mm -hmm. shooting at another person with full power rifles at 300 yards, I would still argue that that's combatives. I, I see it more as a, a, a much more umbrella term. Whereas I think a lot of people, I think some of the argument with what it means is some people approach it from a much more specific point of view. No, it's only hand to hand. 
okay, well, what if the guy's attacking you with a handgun? Isn't that, is that still combative? Well, yeah, but we only have hand to hand. What if you have a gun on you? Is that not combative still? So I, I think we, it's easy, like everything in the training community, right? We all got to argue and be pedantic about, oh, no, the term must mean what I say it means. Okay, I guess. But combative really is fighting. And that's what we're talking about. And it might be yep. organized military fighting. It might be police work in a specific thing, or it might be a private citizen having to defend themselves, but it's all fighting. And I, and so for me, and it's, and it's funny, that's why I, I, I was always kind of felt kind of like the redheaded stepchild a lot in the early days, um, because I wasn't necessarily accepted in either the martial art community or the gun community. Because I'd be in the martial art community and I talk about guns and they're like, no, go away. And then I'd be in the gun community and I talk about martial arts and they'd be like, no, get away, I hate you. And I'm like, I, I, to me, it was, it was always the same. I never, I never saw it as anything different. And maybe that's because I grew up watching, you know, John Wayne movies and, you know, and um, wanted dead or alive and, you know, have gun will travel. It's like, yeah, you might shoot somebody or you're going to punch somebody in the face. So I, I don't know. I always thought, saw it as all one thing. I can tell you something I learned from John Wayne movies. When he says he's not going to punch you in the mouth, he's actually about to punch you in the mouth. <laughs> exactly. Really, really hard. Because yeah. he says somebody ought to punch you in the mouth, but I'm not going to do it. I'm and not. then he always does it. He always does it. Exactly. Like hell I won't. <laughs> well you know here's the other thing though and, and you're wasting all this time training and all the actual physical fighting techniques and everything because all you have to do is say i would just right and then you don't have to do anything i don't have to do anything, anything uh, yeah. I, i'll never get i i wouldn't let anybody take me to the ground yep yeah, i would not guilty. let anybody get I, I would not let anybody get that Guilty. close to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't say that. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but but it, it it is it's it in the train community we have all these things where people just go, you know, well I would just or I yeah. think this. It's like I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in right. actually doing it. So right. show me. Right. You know, show me. A lot of times I'll have students ask me questions. Hey, sister, well, what if they do this? I'm like, well, show me. Do it to me right now in real time. Because I don't, I might not know the answer. It might be something that I've never dealt with and I probably should figure it out. Yeah. And then it, most of the time it's like, oh, see, this doesn't work. You know, I was, um, I was teaching, Guy was present. Uh, 2010 Mid-Atlantic Training Conference, I was teaching the block um, on ground fighting. And at the end, there was like, what was it, guys? I'd say there's about 30, like yeah, maybe 30 big, people. Yeah, it was a big group. It was Pretty a decent group. And, and, and we, it was done. It was at the end of class. And, we were, and I'd say, hey, guys, thanks for coming, blah, blah, blah. And this one guy who's an Army Special Forces dude, um, he started off asking some questions. But it turned pretty quickly into um, basically like, I think what you just taught was crap because of this. 
And I'm, I'm pretty chill. I'm pretty, you know, like, hey, you know, live and let live. You do your own thing. But he, this guy is saying this while most of the other students who were standing there. So unfortunately, I acted with a little bit less professionalism than I should have. And I basically said, let's go. I will do straight jujitsu and you can do whatever you want. No, no, we can't do that. You get hurt and something will happen. And I go, I got all these witnesses in front of us. And, and I said, right, guy, I told everybody, hey, you guys are all witnesses. I absolve this guy. I, I will not, I'm not press charges no matter what happens. He can do whatever he wants. You guys are all witnesses. And then I proceeded to um, beat the crap out of him in a very nice way. I just did straight jujitsu. I never hit him, right? I never hit him, guy, right? Nope, just, he never I, did. Just tied I him just up in a knot. What's that? You just tied him up in a knot. I just tied him up and crushed him for about three minutes mm -hmm. until he basically went, ah, I don't care. And I was like, folded his clothes while he was still wearing them. Yes, yes pretty much. He did. Pretty much with a very, very heavy uh, steam iron. Um, <laughs> and, but, but, but it was that thing. He made these assumptions. Even after I taught for two hours, he mm -hmm. still held on to these assumptions and then was going to try to show what a good fighter he was and tough guy and, and that I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, when, if you're going to throw theory out there, then you've got to back it up, right? Oh, all you have to do is shoot from the hip. That's, you know, work for Jelly Bryce. So that's good. Okay, let's go on the range. Let's just pick an arbitrary drill and let's see who shoots better really quickly. But, uh, but strangely, guys who say that, they seem to come up with excuses why not that the drill doesn't matter or it doesn't really count, right? But I'm like, no, let's do this. Let's actually, you know, test out what, you, what you're going to do. And then we don't have to have, I would just, well, I think if this, I would never. No, no. And I don't say like I'm so smart or I got all the answers. I don't. I probably only have a few answers, but at least I'm willing to look at the problem and try it. Mm -hmm. And I try very, very hard to, you know, to never use never <laughs> or, or I never <laughs> use always, right? Because it's always, it depends, but it's just that thing in the, it, you know, just, just try it before you start saying, well, if somebody's on top of me, I'll just get up. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> let's let's see it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's in the firearms world, you know, we can go out and we can run drills and we can look at the mm -hmm. timer and we can make claims from that. But you know, several years ago there were a group of Atlanta cops that had gotten off duty and had gone to breakfast together. And an argument erupted amongst two guys as to which one was the fastest and ends up one of them pulls a gun on the other. Of course, they get fired, gets in the papers, gets all that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> if there was a way to settle this, how about you go outside and have a race? Uh, well, society and the training community tends to frown on us actually going and having gunfights. Uh, but mm -hmm. you guys... <laughs> let's go throw down over here on this matter on this you know whatever and yeah. you can settle those yeah. theoretical debates pretty mm -hmm. easily yep and and with the 
the last 25 years of advancement in technology and gear, we can actually plug in weapons too and do it and, you know, add Mm -hmm. that in too. And it's like, oh, well, I'll shoot you before you wrestle me. Okay, here's here's a Sims gun. Here's a Sims gun. I will stand seven yards away. Ready? Go. And it's easy to, it's easy to test out that kind of stuff. But, you know, again, it still is that, no, we can't do that. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Just, there was oh, a yeah. friend of mine, student of mine. He just got his black belt. Great guy, Sean. When uh, he first started training with me and Craig, he used to drive around. And he was, a, he was a shooter. He was a big-time shooter. And he would drive around in his car whenever he was going to the range. He always, along with his shooting gear, he always had a couple Sims guns with him. And so anytime, anybody, anywhere said, well, why are you doing the jujitsu and MMA and stuff, just shooting. And Sean would go, hey, we got fist helmets in the car. We got Sims guns in the car. Let's go test it out. <laughs> and I said, Sean, all that time, did anybody ever take you up on it? He goes, no, that's why I stopped carrying it around. Because nobody would. Yeah. And, and of course, that's one thing, too, that, that can be thrown into the conversation right now. Anybody that walks around toting a gun, guess what? You are grappling in a weapons-based environment because there's a gun in any confrontation you're involved in and whether or not you were legally mm-hmm. justified in using that firearm may be of issue but you are obligated to defend that firearm and you know it's a big difference when all of a sudden you realize someone's trying to take your gun when they're on top of you and you yep. can't just get up yep. and you're trying to, and that's one of the things that you know we can get all down the weeds of open carry and <laughs> and and the like but uh, and we could really piss off the sub second draw crowd. Oh, yeah, which I've already I've already <laughs> done. So, uh, so. Yeah. I've already done that. So, um, which you know, that's one of the things I'm, I'm constantly thinking of when I'm out on my day job, openly carrying a firearm because I'm in uniform or usually I wear soft yam polo and khakis uh, most of the time. I got this gun hanging out there. I have to be aware of everything that's going on around me, gun grab situations, all all the lie. And quite frankly, there are people out there that are not impressed when you draw a firearm. And they may try to take it away from you. And you can look at the statistics of how many people will just go to officers killed in the line of duty. How many of them were killed or wounded with their own firearm? well we've got that number this is a high number so we need to start wearing draw proof holsters so that the cops can't get their their weapon take it away from them. <laughs> well what that doesn't look at is how many of those cops had their gun in their hands and it was taken away from them and then used from on them yep that's because uh, yeah, you think that you've got a gun in your hand that people aren't going to fight you for it you're in for a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. Well, if yeah, sure, if see, here's the thing, because this is where some of the training community actually falls down on its on its own, you know, its its own uh, cliches is. So there's some people go, oh, that stuff never happens. You don't have to worry about that. And oh, you know, I produce the gun. No one's ever going to try to stop it or take it away. <laughs> Except, how many times were we see in shooting classes, handgun classes, where they teach disarming wait Mm -hmm. wait we're teaching you 
to be able to disarm and take away a gun from somebody else, which means we're going to teach you to not be scared of it. But everybody else is going to be scared of if I have a gun in my hand. You know, it, 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 the, mm -hmm. the, the, what, are, what we say doesn't always match with what we're actually doing and thinking. And it's always, it's always funny because I always assume it's me. I, I'm like, I'm, I always pull off the line from Zoolander. Am I taking crazy pills? Because I feel like I'm the only <laughs> one seeing this because I hear somebody say something like that. And I'm like, but you're all, you say this never happens, but you're not only teaching disarming tactics, you're teaching handgun retention tactics. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to. Where's the where's that you know the rubber meets the road and again you know the one of the things that you know i think i'm smart about stuff and i research and you know i know i've been involved in violence i don't go around talking about oh i did this and this because most of the time outside of one particular newspaper article there's not a lot of proof on it so i don't say it very much but i've seen violence i know what it looks like i know what bad guys do but one of the things that william got across was we talked about that the the subset of violent criminal actors all right cool there's a pretty good chance that the guy trying to rob you is just you know average criminal wants to take your money but there's like 30 what is it about a third ish i think that's mm -hmm. the best numbers william come up with it's like a third of the violent mm -hmm. criminal actors they have no problem fighting they have no problem going beyond just trying to rob you if you try to fight back and it's like, and, and again, man, I love stealing Tom's lines because he always comes up with great ones. And the best one is it's not the odds, it's the stakes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. You only have a 33% chance of meeting a violent criminal actor. But when you do, it's going to be really bad. Mm -hmm. So I just, I don't know. It's really funny to, you know, that. We understand that stuff. But then when it comes time for what we're training, we kind of overlook. Oh, I just pull this gun out and they're going to like, like you said, with open carry, I don't want to get into that mm. debate, but every open <laughs> carry guy goes, Hey, I show my gun to make the criminal scared. Yeah. And the, the William he was referring to is William April. William April. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Guy, you were a big city cop for nine years. Yes. You ever have an instance where you drew your firearm on someone and they were not impressed? <laughs> uh, that nine years, that was a regular occurrence in my neighborhood. Because they've been, well, it was a high crime, uh, low income neighborhood. So yeah, they saw guns by cops. They've been shot, stabbed, and it's just like another day doing business. You know, they look at you and, oh, okay, yeah, you got a gun. So what? Hmm. And that's a uh, when you're a, a young rookie cop with a uh, just academy training at the time. That's a very disconcerting feeling when they're like, yeah, you got a gun. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I start backing up because at that point, what else am I going to do? It's like, okay, I'm not ready to shoot him yet, but I want more distance because he's not scared at all. And I've, yeah, yeah, for years, yeah, numerous times. They just, they don't care. They've been there, done that, and they're willing to do it again. You know? Yeah, it, it's a very, very empty feeling when you are pointing a firearm at someone, giving them commands, and they are not interested in following them, and they're not impressed mm -hmm. by the fact that you have a firearm on. And it's like, nope. well, now what do I do? In the academy, the other cadets did what I told them to do in these scenarios. <laughs> Why is this guy not doing it? Yeah. Uh, 
been there, done that. And they, you know, it's interesting though when other patrol cars come screaming up, slamming on brakes, and another three or four guys get there that, oh, now they're interested in listening. Yeah. But it's with contempt. You can just tell it in their body language and their face and their voice. Yeah. It's more like, okay, you got me today because well, your buddy showed up. Yeah. So, you know, when you're there waiting on some of that, um, the backup and you don't hear those sirens and it feels like forever. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I had an instance where mm-hmm. I, we were looking for some guys involved in an incident earlier and I was kind of keeping a check on a location we thought they might show up at. And lo and behold, I go to check that location and there <laughs> they are. And it was kind of like a mutual surprise thing. I went looking for them and I found them. And uh, <laughs> there they are. And I drew my pistol and I was justified in drawing my pistol at the moment that I drew it. And I drew to a ready position. I wasn't actually aimed in on anyone, but I drew to a ready position, began issuing verbal commands. And most of the people ran away. One guy looked at me and smiled and started in my direction and i'm sitting there with this 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 pistol in my hand going i'm not legally justified to shoot him and this in my hands right now is a very 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 bad idea because i would like to be using my hands for something else Mm -hmm. and all this you know you'll never have to speed reholster well i figured out that (laughs) sometimes getting the gun back in the holster is something you got to do doing that while you're fighting somebody trying to holster in a safari land 070 holstering for those of you not aware that has two snaps on it not these rotating Mm -hmm. bales or hoods or auto locking devices or whatever if you have to physically snap snaps Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know doing that in the middle of a of a a, a hands-on situation is a bit of a challenge Mm-hmm. and thankfully that guy was not committed to hurting me and thankfully he was of not sufficient enough physical stature to get me off my feet with me knowing that he was coming after me and i was able to to stop and thankfully someone yelled to him in spanish i think they told him that i would actually kill him I'm not exactly sure what they said, but I think they said something along those lines. And he decided to lay down on the ground at the very last moment. And um, yeah, that instance has stuck out in my mind a lot. It's like, what would have happened if we had actually gotten truly entangled? Because a, a hand reaching out to fend somebody as I'm going to retention with the pistol in the other and then trying to get it into the holster and deal with something. Mm-hmm. We never got actually truly entangled like what happened in an ACQC class or, or something like that, which I had never even heard of at that point. Yeah, what would have happened? Yeah. Well, it's and it's interesting what you said about he wasn't committed yeah. enough to do it. The only reason it did not become an entangled fight in a weapons environment was his decision yeah. to do it. It wasn't because you necessarily did anything right. or you were able to stop him or anything. And that's what I think. Um, that's, I think, where a lot of people prefer to use the term combatives when they're talking about hand-to-hand stuff that they're teaching versus martial arts, because I think there's this um, 
thought process in the martial arts about, oh, you know, it's honor and we're defending our Shaolin temple and whatever. Whereas in combatives, it's more about we're fighting really nasty other people and we have to assume that they're committed. So all our techniques have to work against that situation. Now we might never have to use it if we're, if we're lucky, if everything goes our way, if we're doing everything right, we don't have to use it, but that's a lot less on us. And it's what the other guy decide. And I find that something that I think we're lacking in the community in getting that idea across to students in that, yeah, we can do all this stuff. And to you, to me, as a reasonable human being, if a cop points a gun at me, or a private citizen points a gun at me, I'm probably going to go, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to desist in my activities because I don't want to be full of holes. But that's not every human being on this planet, mm -hmm. as evidenced by any prison population you ever visit. And trusting to your well-being, trusting in that what the other guy is going to choose is the reasonable decision i mean i, I you know I, I don't think i've ever met a cop who who will use the term reasonable with anybody that they ever interact with right and and i think that's interesting because there are a lot of people oh this stuff never happens well, mm -hmm. well number one it does yeah. i don't i don't Craig, myself larry chris paul we've never said it happens all the time but it does happen significantly mm -hmm. and it would happen more but it doesn't because the bad guy tends to go, nah, I'm not interested in gladiatorial combat. All I want to do is get paid. I want to get some profit. It's not worth the opportunity. So I'm just going to back away. Or if you're pointing a gun, I'm just going to acquiesce at that point. But it has nothing to do with he's so afraid of me because I'm walking around with a jujitsu shirt or he's so afraid of me because I got a gun out. It's he just decided and eh, it's probably not worth it. And man, I don't want to base, I don't want to base my <clears throat> well-being on rolling the dice on what the other guy's going to do when he sees me react a certain way. It just that just seems a little odd to me. To date, all but one guy that I have fought on the job, the physical altercation was them trying to get away mm. and not be put in cuffs. Uh, I have one guy that at a certain point in the confrontation, I was legally justified in killing him or using deadly force, whether he died or not was inconsequential. I was legally justified in using deadly force and that did not happen when we ended up in a fight. That was another instance where I had a gun in my hands. I had to holster a gun and then I had to fight because I, I, I'm on the side of the road with this guy who is trying to get into a duffel bag and Ooh. I've dealt with enough homeless guys that you don't let them get into there because there's going to be blades in there. It turned out there was like mm -hmm. three or four blades in the bag and he was trying to get to them. And he looked up trying to unfasten this double duffel bag and he was looking down the barrel of my glock me telling him, if you don't do it, don't do it. And he stands up and he takes a boxing stance. There's another instance. I've got a gun in my hands and now I'm in a physical confrontation and I ended up he runs around my truck and starts trying to get through the passenger side door of my, my truck. Mm. And thankfully my doors were locked and he couldn't get in there. So I had to holster, pursue him around the truck. 
you know, he, he made he gave me his back, and it was over at that point. And I just sat on his head till help got there. <laughs> and your your forty time tends to go down considerably when I'm hanging on your back. <laughs> and so so guy, you know, what's the difference you see in you know people that are just trying to get away from you and that guy that turns around and wants to fight? And you know, from the private citizen. Mm. Is anybody going to be trying to get away from them in a parking lot somewhere? Or is if it gets the hands on, is it really turning into a fight for our life and our, our stuff at that point? It's, it's probably going to be a fight for your life because you're, you know, your opponent always get, gets a say and that's where, um, or gets a vote. That's where a lot of people are disconnected. They think, oh, well, you know, as we're saying, I'll just, I do. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. If you say that, you haven't done it. You haven't done it on a force of force with someone actually. You know, even in a simulated scenario, someone trying to beat your head in, um, you go, if a private citizen is hand-to-hand with a, uh, a felon or criminal convicted or not at the, this point, it, it's it's probably going to be a fight for your life. Um, you know, I'm playing clothes now, have been for the last 20 years. If I go about and I get, someone jumps me and bugs me, well, I'm, eh, 99% of the time I have a gun on me. So even if they don't, I brought a gun into that situation. Now it's a gunfight. And it's it may just be a regular fight, grappling, them trying to, you know, um, best me so they can get my wallet or phone or whatever. But, you know, during that course of the action, while they're trying to fight me to get me to a point where they can rob me or get my property, they find my gun. Now we're fighting over a gun. Even if your gun's holstered and you got a hand on it, you're still fighting over a gun. It becomes our gun. And if you make a poor timing decision and pull it out, say, while you're fighting them, it's definitely our gun. And if you got anybody like Cecil, myself, you know, Paul Sharp, anybody, the myriad of people out there that train. And by training, you know, you get someone who has six, seven months in of jujitsu, and then you pull a gun out, you're going to be grappling over that gun and it's going to be who's stronger, bigger, faster, meaner. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a deadly force incident for uh, a private citizen, I think. Yeah. Um, unless they've got, unless they've got their own skill level up where they can, um, fight them off hand to hand and get either a dominant position or be able to break contact and get away. But you're, you know, your opponent always gets a say in it. Yeah. You know, I think back to that first situation I described, if that guy had been committed, mm-hmm. would I have had to kill him? And then would I have been the cop that was all over the news for shooting a quote unarmed man? Now mm-hmm. he would have been, would he have been unarmed if he was trying to get my gun? Mm-hmm. And that's what gets left out a lot of these, uh, the narratives that get formed. The second one, I'm, you know, the second scenario I gave you, I, I know that this guy was going for the blaze that ran that back. Mm-hmm. And I know that theoretically, black letter law, I would have, you know, I was fast approaching the line of legal mm-hmm. justification. Mm-hmm. But until he actually had those blades out of that bag, and we come, you know, it's like so Cincinnati's kind of having to wait. All right, is he there yet? Is he there yet? Is he there yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, an armed guy up until the point that it wasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dean Keller, right? It's yeah. a Dean Keller type thing. Mm-hmm. Guy for arguably for a few of those seconds, the the murderer was not armed. He went back to his car, got the gun out, 
stuck the magazine in, racked the action before he started. Up to that point, he was unarmed until he yeah. was really, really well armed. Right. And again, people see this stuff, but yet a lot of times it doesn't. I don't know if it's penetrating in the brain is not the right answer, but it doesn't resonate in the brain yeah. of like, what, what do we take away from? Okay. We saw, we see this. What do we take away? And I think there's a lot that gets left out in that conversation. Just like you're saying, man, the guy comes out with the blades. It's <laughs> even if you go to shoot him at that point, is it necessarily going to stop him right away before he drops one of those blades into your skull you know uh, it, again this this weird um hypocrisy or this weird disconnect in the training community there's not one legitimate firearms instructor that would teach you all right come up shoot i want you to put one round in the a zone cool you can do that on demand you're going to stop everybody you put one round in the a zone you're everyone's going to drop to that because you know you're shooting 45 hardball right there's not one legitimate instructor who says that it's all about well you got to shoot till something so you better be able to put two three four five maybe you have to do a failure drill go to the high box but yet somehow magically when it's going to become an entangled fight all i have to do is to shoot him once uh -huh. and it's just it's a death ray at that point and he's just going to collapse and it's never going to happen so i can just shoot him well since you mentioned 45 and ball that's the point in the show where Shane Ghost is going to text me and say they all fall to hardball. <laughs> yeah, but I beat him to the punch, though. I beat him to the punch. Yeah. Uh, being facetious, of course. Uh, so would say. Um, yep. yeah, the shoot him once thing. How many times have you guys seen in the grappling scenarios with the sim guns and stuff where the gun gets fouled? When I say fouled, like, slide gets knocked out of battery magazine gets uh you know knocked a jar so that it, it doesn't mm -hmm. feed rounds and everything revolver cylinder get locked up etc when we're in this entangled mm -hmm. fight our clean gun becomes a dirty gun really 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 quickly yep yep all the time everyone everyone gripes everyone gripes about craig's simunition guns and ecqc Oh, they never work. They're always, they're always jammed stuff. Except, except, and I've been the gun gopher in multiple classes, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'm running, reloading, grabbing this one and doing this one. And then a Sims round gets, you know, messed up inside. So I got to clean up the throw and I'm running. Mm -hmm. But what do I, we always, after we run them, we always fire a couple rounds to make sure it's working. Guess what? We never have a problem if we're just shooting in, into space. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, now it's close in, and they fall and they fall apart. And it's like you guys not understand that that's what happens to firearms. Yeah. Now, uh, okay, maybe we can argue that revolvers are slightly and very slightly less likely to have that happen. But man, even they, you just slow down that cylinder revolver that revolving just slow it down and, mm -hmm. and you go oh no but you know it's just my shirt <laughs> okay <laughs> okay just just mm -hmm. try that you know you know guys like myself craig guy we teach a very specific retention shooting position and it's because of that exact thing you know we're, we're like no you got to have that that little bit of uh thumb pectoral index do you get a little standoff because in the fight 
it's real easy for that for that gun to roll inboard way more than you thought because you're 100 mm -hmm. focused on not getting killed or shot by this other guy and all of a sudden now you're like man i don't know why the gun jammed i was shooting perfectly it's like no dude you weren't i watched you here's mm -hmm. the video that we took of your force on force event mm -hmm. and it's like or they're shooting back here from high retention and the slide slams into them and of course in the heat of the moment they don't feel that the slide yeah. did that but they go oh man it's a piece of crap look at double fed no it didn't oh. mm -hmm. it's all about this idea and, and all it takes it literally just takes put your finger on a slide and that might slow it down just enough to cause a problem and it, we're talking we're talking tiny fractions of this kind of stuff so it, it's mm -hmm. just it's just weird to me um, that 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 again it's that disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. Oh well, we're in the entanglement. Sims guns and UTM guns are pieces of crap, but I can shoot at range all day if if my target's mm -hmm. five yards away. I never I never once have an issue with those guns. Well, put two and two together, dude. There's a reason. Mm -hmm. yeah. Guy, what we see all the time, cops on the range with both hands on the gun in a click, click. close to a perfect sense that <laughs> some cops get to, the uh -huh. gun functions fine. Mm -hmm. But then when they get in a real-life situation, their gun malfunctions them all the way. They have a, have a crappy grip or uh -huh. they got something in there. I watched a video of a guy, a cop on a traffic stop. The person in the other car jumps out and starts shooting at him, and the cop draws his pistol and starts shooting back, and he had his cell phone. And it's supporting them the whole time, and he's trying to grip mm -hmm. the cell phone and the gun <laughs> at the same time. And of course, that's not working well. And then we nope. start to see problems. That translates over to if you're fighting with somebody over your gun in a parking lot. It does. Um, you can do something as sneaky as I did on one of my ECQC. Is uh, you, Craig has a, a two gun grappling um, Evo where one's on the bottom with the gun on the hand. Uh, you know, right hand, left hand, whatever. One has a gun and uh, the muzzle here. The other one's on top, and he has the gun. So my gun's here, and uh, he has the muzzle there. So, you know, if I shoot, I cause a malfunction, right? If he shoots, I cause a malfunction. So I'm there spinning around. I look over, and it's amazing how fast stuff blows through our mind. Because I glance over, I notice I had his gun like this, had my thumb in the trigger guard. I was over the slide. I'm like, huh, you know, if I just run my thumb back, I fire this gun, and he's got a malfunction weapon. So I waited. You know, it seemed like a couple seconds. Probably wasn't even as fast as it's going, but I did that. I looked over. I fired. I waited. Let go. And you see him. I still wish I had the video. He rips. As soon as I let go, he rips up. And, um, of course, that gives me the chance to clear his hand off my gun. I hit my two, and I start at crotch and go from – Crotch to throat and shoot him, boom, 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 and you see him trying to shove the bullets at me because the gun won't shoot because yep. he doesn't know he had a malfunction. And at the end of the video, when Craig calls a break, you see him roll the gun over and look at it like, "What the fuck just happened?" And we in the debrief, he goes, "Oh, I thought that was your gun that discharged." I said, "No, that was yours that I did it because I looked over and I saw my hand like this. I'm in the trigger guard. I'm like, oh, boom, let go." You know, having trained, that was my second ECQC, third class with Craig at the time, 2008. And it's like, because I'd been under pressure, been trained in jiu-jitsu and boxing, it allows me to think under pressure. So I look over there and I'm like, oh, 
And, you know, so, yeah, if you get fired up with someone and you draw your gun too soon, too late, whatever, and they get a grip on it, again, who's ever bigger, stronger, faster? Or they do the same thing I did, just run the thumb either purposely or accidentally. They don't know they did it. And then they let go to start pounding you. And you draw back to two and you're there, click, 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 trying to get something to shoot before you know it. Or you get so hyper-focused on the gun, which I've seen also, is they'll drop down to a turtle-like position on their hands and knees and are trying to clear the gun while people are pounding on them. And it's like, you need to drop the gun and, and fight. You know, the gun's useless at this point, uh, you know? So, mm-hmm. so the yeah. Craig, he, the Craig he's referring to is Craig Douglas of Shipworks. And he has a class called, everybody calls it ECQC. It's Extreme mm-hmm. Close Quarters Concepts. Yes, the, yes, that's the, it. And it's all a grappling, retention, shooting, whatever. You know, funny thing, a scenario I saw in one of those classes, um, Clark Sparrow, who is a, a trainer on Sparrow Defense, uh, was mm-hmm. fighting one of the Long Brothers in, in a scenario. <laughs> and... Uh, Clark became very, very uh, interested in protecting his weapon. And all of a sudden, he felt something poking him over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it was, I think it was Sam, had drawn his, whatever the little center line knife was, and it was just, Mm -hmm. you know, tenderizing (laughs) Clark's back, basically. And if that happened in real life, that's, you don't recover from that. Nope. Nope. And you know, I have a similar scenario, and I did not do well in my ACQC, but I have one where we were able to get a car to do in-car scenarios, and the guy tries to rob me in the car, and I managed to get a shot off and get him and get a solid hit on him. And at that point, I just play keep away with my firearm. Because if he can't get my gun, and I stayed on top of him. I was like, I can stay on top of this guy and keep my gun. He grabbed my wrist and I just stretched my arm out as far away from him as I could. So I can stay here until Craig calls time because this guy's going to bleed out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And but see, but that's really interesting because you yeah. realize you weren't yeah. you weren't gaming it to then go, hey, Craig, stop the snare because I uh, shot him once. You already realized eh, that's yeah. not necessarily in and of itself going to stop mm-hmm. him. Right. But eventually he's going to go all Maddox and bleed out. Mm-hmm. So you thought, but that, and that's how it probably is more likely to work out in that. Yeah. But you're not playing the game of, oh, I shot you. Yeah. Game over. Because yeah. it, it's not, <laughs> you don't know. Maybe, maybe. Guy, yeah. uh, I would posit that you understood what to do in that situation because mm-hmm. it wasn't, wasn't the first time that you had, mm-hmm have been in one of those situations you know, like you didn't panic no no but you know get comfortable being with uncomfortable go you know muay thai any of the combat sports jiu-jitsu judo wrestling anything that gives you a, a li- living breathing thanking opponent who has skills even if they don't have skills you know like we do in cecil's class one of the ones we do is the just get up so we set the time for what two minutes and we'll go there and we'll say you know just just to stay down you know when we tell you to get up from the bottom, get up. Uh, and it's like 10 people, one, every like third or fourth round will eventually make it up. And the, a lot of time, I think, what, with three seconds we allow on that? Five yeah, I would, I'd count, yeah, I'll count out 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, too late. 
Yep, I can't get, get up in three seconds without anybody being top. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So if you're in my class, Lee, I'll, I'll adjust it and give you a couple extra seconds. So at that point, something's popped. Uh, I need medical attention already. Uh, <laughs> you know, that the sad reality is we're all feeling that. All three yeah, of us are feeling Kobe. that. Uh -huh. uh, oh gosh my fingers don't work anymore and that's just so frustrating <laughs> as it can be oh. and, uh, all right well you guys are part of a new organization that is started called the combatives association mm -hmm. so tell the audience what is the combatives association <laughs> and who all so, is involved etc so the, <laughs> the main the main drivers is um uh, matt larson who was the founder of the, Ar the modern army combatives program um dating back to the mid 90s and he he was the first one in the army to start seeing the efficacy of brazilian jiu-jitsu so he started he brought in some of the guys started training i think one of the ranger battalions is is how i think it started and then from there it was so successful that you know even big army was like hey we need to make this across the board so so he did that and then um, one of his students, another black belt, John Valentine, um, they were talking about it's it's easy. It was easy for them in the army to maintain some standards. Here's some things you're expected to do as a combat soldier. But when you get out of that, and you're out of that disciplined environment. How do you do that for everybody else? And so they were looking around of like, well, here's this group of jujitsu guys, and here's this group of shooters, and here's these guys who are really fit. There's all these things, and you'd like to be a certain level at all of those. You know, you don't have to be a champion at any of them, oh. but you know, have a reasonable functional level. Um, but how do you get that across? So they decided to put this association together where there was a standard of, hey, if you want to be graded, if you want to have ranking in this system, I mean, to some extent, it's functioning like a martial art, but it's very vast. It's very, it's much more open. There's an expectation that you have to shoot and you need to show it. You need to show, hey, are you doing USPSA drills? Or, or not drills, sorry. Shooting in a USPSA match. Are you taking legitimate shooting classes? Are you, did you take a, range master instructor development course and you passed it okay that gets plugged into you have some you've developed some skill and so they so they decided to do the, this combatives association to where there's at least some standard out there you know and it's and it it's not arbitrary discipline it's yeah you have to kind of some you have to agree hey i got to do some work but i'm going to do the work and i'm going to show it and by kind of being well-rounded and, and proving that you're doing this stuff, you can get ranking. And I, I can't remember what the, what, the, what the belts are in the system, but you can get up to like black belt. And so when they started doing this, and obviously they're drawing on a lot of the army guys and ex-army guys doing this as, as the backbone. But what was really interesting was that Matt and John started reaching out to other people outside the army and said, you guys are, are doing the similar thing. It may be in your own realm, in a smaller area or whatever, but would you be willing 
to be part of this in the sense of sort of like this board of overseers so that it's not one person making the decision, hey, this guy is black belt, but we don't like that guy, so we're not going to belt him. It's more, hey, we all kind of say, what do you think should standards be? How do we judge these things? Who do you think are appropriate to be recognized kind of thing? So it was me and Craig, and, and it, by this point, they've added a pretty good number of people uh what is it guy we've got i don't know who we got there's a ton of people in this <laughs> board now at this point mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and so the idea is just sort of a clearinghouse of again sort of like we talked about what combatives are it's this umbrella term should yeah, is it hand-to-hand sure is it yep. shooting sure is it some level of fitness on some level which I hate using that term fitness because everybody automatically thinks you're trying to make them into a CrossFit champion or a national (laughs) powerlifting champion or whatever. It's like, no, it's, you know, you got to have a reasonable level of health and vitality just to survive, just to get through your life. And so they have these kind of standards so that people can go, yeah, I'm achieving and I've got a pathway to getting better. And that's basically what the association is. And there's still constantly talking about what are the standards what would you do john just called me a week ago two weeks ago and he was asking uh something specific about shooting standards and i suggested that one of the standards for like getting to high level brown belt black belt should be you graduate from the range master instructor development the basic one don't don't worry about advanced don't worry about master but you've done Again, Tom's program, there's legitimacy to it because there's tests, you can fail, there's standards <laughs> that everybody can relate to. And I said, why should you guys reinvent the wheel? Just say, hey, you, you want to rank in the system? Oh, what have you done? Oh, well, I'm a graduate of Range Master Instructor Development class. Cool. You've met a certain standard of shooting. And and it's it's just sort of that um, that look of how we try to give people a pathway to get better at this integration shooting fitness hand-to-hand uh medical is part of mm-hmm. it legal understanding there's that's that's all that component of stuff we should be thinking of whether we're military cop private citizen and that's just sort of the general po- point of it am i missing something guy i, I feel like i'm not covering something hey, pistol carbine Hand to hand, all right. Uh, strength standards basically in medical. Those five are the main drivers in it, and the belts are um, gray, green, brown, and black. Is how it works up. Um, so black belts like Cisco and I can promote someone up to their green belt level, but after that, it takes two or more black belts to approve someone for brown and black. Um, basically, it's like you come show us what you can do. And we will rank you accordingly to what you do. It's not like, oh, you come train with us and we'll rank you. No, no, no. You go train and then come to us and show us what you've done. So if you're shooting, you've got to show your shooting. you got to show, you know, shooting pistol matches, shooting um, course, qualifying courses of fire like the range masters or, uh, you know, our old um, tactical pistol course for the fams. That's, that would be a real good one to add in. Um, carving, familiarization, and quals. you got to show yourself winning. Um, jiu-jitsu matches you got to show that you can do you know like stop the bleed or 
uh, can apply your tourniquets and all that. So, um, it, yeah, you come to us, show us what you can do. We're not coming to you is ba the basis of it. So I think that's everything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you've named some of the people who can you think about who else is involved on the board? Oh, my God. Um, if only uh, we had like a device we could look that up on. Well, if you go to combatuniversities.com, there's a list of black belt, brown belt, green, and gray belts. You know, uh, Matt keeps a, uh, um, a database on everybody in their rank who's promoted to combat university. But that's what they're, they're calling through the, the association. All right. So, so combativeuniversity.com? Yes. Or combative association. Either no, one to get you there. No, no that's not, not it. That's a, that's, a different, okay. that's a different one, guy. Okay. Um, hold on. Well, whoever that is, you're welcome for the hits uh, you just got. Yeah. Okay. Well, combativesassociation.com for sure. Yeah, combativesassociation uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, the, I like, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Jumping ahead. Never mind. <laughs> so. But yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of guys. Some of them, some of them are people that, that a lot of people outside don't know. Yeah. Um, mm they've just sort of been like army guys like super high level army guys who are now civilians or or whatever um and it's we know their legitimacy but it's they you know they're not out there promoting themselves but it's it's matt larson it's uh it's craig it's myself paul sharp guy man there's what at this point there's what Probably 20 uh, or 25 guys on the board now at this point. Yes. Yes. Quite a few. Yeah. It's a, it's a bunch. Um, I'm and trying, I'm to, trying look to get it to up. it and the webpage is not working at the moment. Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand why that. Oh, you know what? It is combatuniversity.org. That's what it oh, is. Dot org. Okay. Yeah. It's dot org. That's why it wasn't. There we go. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, Cecil, myself, Paul Sharp, um, Ben Aubin from ben Red Beard Combatives. Yeah, Ben Aubin, uh, uh, Cliff Byerly, um, of course, John Valentine. Okay, Jeremy Horn, yeah. UFC ex UFC fighter. Yeah. Um, Jeff Adams, John with... Anderson, Jeremy yeah. Brown. Okay, Keith Bach, Adam Scholl. Bader. Yeah. Yeah, Adam Scholl. Yeah, Josh Chambers. Michael Jerry Wetzel. There's, there's a there's a uh -huh, bunch. Yeah. And a, like I said, a lot of them are, you know, through the army and were high level combatives instructors and stuff in the army mm. who are now on the civilian side and um, and that Matt wanted on to go. They understand standards and 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 doing that kind of stuff and they wanted to be part of it because I think a lot of it was guys like that were coming out of the army and they were talking to Matt going. I'd like to maintain this. I enjoy this. This is a, this is not just a vocation. It's sort of a, a lifestyle and it's something I enjoy. So they wanted a, a, a way to continue that education. And I think that was sort of a driver for setting this up in, in, in the first place and then helping the new people who are totally coming in new. Well, where do I start? Should I start shooting? Should I work pistols? Should I work carving? Should I spend time on the medical side? Should I do jujitsu? Should I do boxing? Should I do Muay Thai? And it's, here's 
not necessarily the path, but here's a path where you have options. And again, like Guy said, you're not being judged by one person who can play favorites or you could pay him a little money to do it. You need at least two people in the group to agree. Yeah, this guy, yeah, we want this guy to be a black belt. This guy has got it all. So I like that a lot because now I don't trust myself and my judgment for that kind of stuff. (laughs) I've done, I haven't promoted a black belt yet, but I've done up to brown belt. And every time I do that, I'm like, man, you know, it's like I stress myself out, give myself an ulcer because you want to uphold the standards for one, you know, one guy's opinion. But when you have at least a couple, I think there's a better chance that you're maintaining the right path i think right i agree well how much credit are you guys going to give me towards a gray belt by the fact that i was a rookie cop with forrest griffin and he put me in a choco one time oh i'll give you i'll give you a gray belt for that guy and i will give you a gray belt for that (laughs) yeah how about all that because at least at, at least that's something at least that's a little bit all right because yeah, i've got yeah. i've got ecqc i've got brian hill's complete combative i've got they taught me how to put somebody in chicken wing in the academy and forrest put me in a chokehold that's my martial arts background right there hell that's better than most of the people yakking online about stuff so you're way ahead oh, yes, so you certainly you certainly should qualify for a gray belt that's for sure so i'm, I'm sure thinking, it yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I got the firearm stuff covered. I can do the medical. I know the legal. I don't know that I'm ever good. If I got to get up off the ground in three seconds, I don't know that I can do that. I, 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 no, that's, that's just my That's, that's arbitrary. You can, you, you, can go, you can go to somebody else and they might take pity on you. I won't, but somebody else might. No, no, that's, I take that back. I would take pity on you. I wouldn't take pity on her. Him, oh, yeah. I would <laughs> Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to reveal something here in this show for, uh, just for you two guys. Right. Like I said, Forrest Griffin and I were rookie cops together. Uh, 2001-ish, we were working a 2000, 2001, somewhere out right in there. We were working a University of Georgia football game. And it was the first time the University of Georgia had beaten the University of Tennessee in like nine years. And there had been all this talk all week about the students were going to take the field, everything else. And so, you know, send the student newspaper what they're planning to do, all this kind of stuff. And so the chief calls us all in and gives us our plan. And I know a lot of people listening are not familiar with the stadium. The west end zone of the stadium back then is where the student section was. And so there's hedges around the the football field at the University of Georgia. What most people don't realize, that's why they call it between the hedges, is that there's a chain link fence in the hedges. (laughs) And we were very concerned that we were going to get crushed against those fences and get people Mm -hmm. killed. That actually had two people killed at the University of Wisconsin football game years ago Mm -hmm. in crowd crush. And so the plan was those of us that were going to be on the field, we were going to form up along the back of the end zone in the West end zone area. And we were going to make a show of force, but if they actually started trying to come on the field, we were not going to fight them at the hedges because we did not Mm -hmm. want to have that crush. And the chain was like, we'll let them have the field. We were going to back off, you know, as far as we needed to back off to let them have the field. And then we were going to open up the gates and, and start pushing them out. Okay, who cares if they get on the field? 
we don't want anybody to die over this. Well, what was not anticipated was that people were going to take the field from 360 degrees. And a mass of humanity swarmed the field. And we ended up falling back to like one corner of the stadium and just had to let the crowd run wild for a while before we start pushing them off. Um, at one point, some high-ranking individual got on the radio and said, there are unauthorized persons on the field. And we were looking around like, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. All of that to say this, a girl got caught up in the crowd search because there were people that got pushed to the field that did not mm -hmm. want to go, but they couldn't help it. The crowd was pushing them. A uh, college-age girl got pushed onto the field, and she got trampled. She ended up with some, some brain injury and everything. Or uh, another fairly rookie officer with us, I want to say his first name, Danny. Danny threw himself on top of her as a human shield. Yeah. This girl has been trampled. She's on the ground. The crowd's still coming over. Danny forms a human shield on top of her. Forrest Griffin straddled Danny and stood over top of him and threw haymakers and was laying people out right and left and there are people to this day don't know that the light heavyweight champion of the world is who punched their lights out that night it was like i look over and all i can see is far just haymaking you know wham, wham, people just falling <laughs> and, oh, oh man, man. Oh gosh, we, we finally got that girl loaded on a gurney and got her, got an ambulance into her and got her in the ambulance. And then we had to form a line and fight through the crowd, like throwing punches, kicking me, throwing people out of the way to get the ambulance out to get her to the hospital. Okay, that wasn't somebody trying to rob us in a parking lot. Mm -mm. All right. That's one of my three favorite Forrest Griffin stories. I can tell maybe <laughs> one other and I can't tell the third ever in, in public. <laughs> Oh, I've been close friends with, um, with force coach Adam for mm -hmm. 20 plus 25 years. Yeah. So I know a bunch of force stories and I'm not allowed to tell any of them. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is that they're all true. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you go, yeah. no, no, you're making this up. And he goes, no, I'm not. And then he'd call his brother. He'd call somebody else. And I'm like, oh yeah, force did that. Yeah. That all right i gotta tell two more uh, there's one i can't <laughs> tell but i gotta tell two more we we had the agency had a minivan that had been purchased for the crime prevention unit and the reason this was purchased because they could put all the the mats and everything for the women's self-defense classes and everything in it all the yeah. materials that they had to take to do presentations and everything in it and they could haul them around in this van this old ford aerostar minivan well there was a bureaucratic rule that we could not get rid of a vehicle till it had 135,000 miles on it. And all this vehicle had done for years of its existence was haul stuff to like orientation and all that kind of stuff. And it had like 40,000 miles on it and it's fallen apart and nobody <laughs> can see past the administrative rule this bureaucrat thing. No, you got to get it to 135,000 before you can get rid of it. It was outside of the agency. Why didn't my chief and everything say that? And she's like, sorry guys, you gotta start driving it on patrol to get miles on it. Most of us would do everything we could do to keep from taking enforcement authority, enforcement action driving this van, because it was just too 
Forrest was bound and determined that he was going to arrest somebody and take them to jail. And we called it the Goober Van, is what we call it. And Forrest made a DUI arrest in it one night and took someone to jail in the Goober Van. So there's someone out there that has been arrested and taken to jail in a minivan by the light heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, the guy, probably, was, probably down the road, he's watching, he's watching UFC and goes, hey, yeah. that way. Yeah. Oh, and then the other, only other one I'll tell on air, uh, Forrest made a DUI arrest. And I came down to the station to run the intox machine for him because we had this thing. Somebody else other than the arresting officer had to run the intox. And so I come and I'm setting up the intox and Forrest is filling out paperwork. And the guy he's arrested is just sitting there staring at him like, I know you look familiar. Kind of one of those stares. And finally, he says to Forrest, he goes, you know what? I think I know you. And Forrest, without looking up, still filling out the paperwork, yeah. We were on the high school basketball team together and just kept. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Just, mm-hmm. And that's just a sampling. Sampling. Yeah. See, so am, I, am I exaggerating a bit? No, no. Every, sto- every story I've ever heard about him from Adam has been pretty much along the same line. Yeah. <laughs> but worse. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he probably knows some that uh, uh, when Forrest wasn't working as a cop that he can probably tell. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking, we've we got a whole network of things coming together. I met Adam in a William April class. Oh, really? Oh, that's okay. cool. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I talked to Adam after that. And he was just he was just blown away by what William mm-hmm. was doing. It was like mm-hmm. it was is again it was a very transformative moment for him when he was like because I think he had before. We talk self-defense stuff, but I think he had a, a, I think he looked down on it a little bit in the sense that, because most of the martial art guys who are super heavy into the street fighting and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff tend to be uh, either really psychotic or uh, geeks. And so, so I think, (laughs) so I think um, Adam just assumed that that was it, but when he saw what William was doing and talking about it, it was like, oh my God, this is, this is truly amazing. Yeah, I, I remember talking to Adam at class. I'm like, so you got anything for a fat guy that's not really strong? And he goes, yeah, we make you less fat. We make you stronger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely Adam. That's definitely Adam for sure. All right. The Combatives Association has an inaugural event upcoming. Yeah. Tell us about mm-hmm. that event. The summit, the Combative Summit, Combatives Association Summit. Really cool event. Um some of us have been talking about this, trying to do something like this for years. Uh, I think Craig and I, and Paul and Larry and Chris, we threw this around 10 years ago. Wouldn't it be cool if we could do something like this? But the problem is it's kind of a daunting thing. Well, uh, I don't know, a year ago, John Valentine decided it should happen. And he said, I'm going to devote time and energy, some of my own personal money to try to get this going. And he listened to input from all of us, but he was the driving force. And the idea is to gather all the people who've been doing this kind of thing, this integrated combatives methodology, who've been doing this for decades, as well as an upcoming generation, guys way younger than me, who 
are going to take it further. And then trying to kind of bring everybody together. And yeah, there's teaching and there's that kind of stuff. But part of it is sort of a internal thing where we talk to each other and we discuss, hey, what do you find? What do you think about this? What, what's your ideas on this? What do you find for training methodology? Um, and some of us already do that, right? The, a bunch of the guys who are teaching, I know. Um, the gym, we're going to be at Redbeard Combatives facility. I taught there a couple of years ago. And so I've known Ben for a couple of years. Uh, Cliff Barley, I've known forever. Um, John, I've known for a couple of years now. Um, but there's a lot of guys who I'm not familiar with. And it's usually the younger guys. And the idea is almost, and I brought this up to John when he first broached the subject. I, I said, you know, this is kind of, or what it could be, not necessarily what it is, but it could be like the old Columbia conference, the Jeff Cooper, the Gunsight Columbia conference, or the Scout Rifle conference, where you bring these guys together and you kind of not codify a doctrine, but hey, what's our best practices right now? What can we agree on at this point, for the most part, for our core stuff that we agree is the best practices and the best practices of, of training it? And then at the same time, inviting students who are interested and trying to pass that on and build the next generation of, of people. So it's sort of this multifaceted thing, like this internal conference, but an external conference too with students. And I think it's, I think it's going to work. You know, at first, mm -hmm. like, man, that's a lot. man, can we really do that? Can we really make it a double thing? But the way it's going, um, it's been pretty successful. It's sold out. The tickets, there's no more tickets available. It's completely sold out. Um, and then John's continued to try to bring in other people. So mm -hmm. along with Matt Larson, along with Craig Douglas, guys who've been doing it forever, he's got in Kelly, but he's bringing in Kelly McCann, uh, who really, I would argue at some point is almost the godfather of everything that we're doing. I, re I remember reading his articles, late 80s, early 90s, like in Guns and Ammo. What was his, what was his pen name guy? It wasn't Kelly McCann. Jim Grover. Yeah, the Jim Grover, that's right. Jim Grover. Uh, mm -hmm. Grover. And, and I remember going, this guy is speaking to how I understand things. Shooting, hand-to-hand, -hand, all that kind of stuff. And he was doing it way before a lot of people. It was pre-internet. So there wasn't a lot of people talking about that. So Kelly was doing that. Um, oh, man, I forget the guy's name. George, guy, the the Marine Corps, the guy who created the Marine Corps oh. martial art program. Colonel Bristol? Yeah, George Bristol. So he's coming too as sort of like him and Kelly McCann. There, uh, actually, Kelly's actually going to teach a class, which wasn't the original plan, but he agreed to teach something. And then George is going to be there as, a, um, you know, again, like Matt Larson, there's this idea of the guys who've been doing it. And they're not, it's it, it's very democratic in the, in the sense it's not like, it's not quite Colonel Cooper kind of lecturing to everybody. <laughs> It's not quite like that, even though Craig would probably prefer it to be that way with him, of course, being the Colonel Cooper position. Of course. Um, of course. But, 
but you still have uh, guys like that as sort of like passing the torch almost, you know, helping to pass the torch to the next generation, the next, because honestly, I've got maybe five years left of me traveling because it's hard. Man, I, I just turned 59. Man, I like traveling. Don't get me wrong. And I love teaching seminars. I love passing this on. But man, I'm finding that when I come home, my recovery is a lot longer than it was even a year, two, three years ago. So I don't know. Craig's the same way. Larry's the same way. Paul, uh, Chris is the baby of the collective and he's still 53. So, you know, and, and so we've got to make sure that this, I don't want this to die. I don't want, I think we've done a lot of good work over the years and not just us, but guys like Ben Aubin and Cliff Barley and of course, Matt Larson and those guys, I don't want it to die. I don't want there to be this thing to happen. And then that, that people 20 years from now have to reinvent all this. Yeah. I like their, the, again, the, what Cooper did, I think what Cooper tried to do with this was here's not doctrine, but here's where we're at and let's go forward. So there's mm -hmm. always, we can always go back to those writings. What happened? What were they saying? What came out of that? Okay, cool. How do we proceed from there? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, and I think that's what the summit really is trying to be. And, and it, to me, I think it's going to be that way. You know, as daunting as it is, I think it's going to be that way. I mean, don't you, don't you agree, Guy, from what we've so. seen, where it goes, what, or where it was, to where it's happening? Yeah, I think this is going to be the foundation for the future of combatives. The, the association or the summit every year or every couple of years, seeing how the art, I guess for lack of a better term, art, is progressing or combatives is progressing as we as we um distill into what we want it to be and what the future wants it to be so it's, it's gonna be really good i think uh for the people who are gonna be there they're gonna get a lot of a lot of good material uh, even whether it's the lecture or the hands-on part or whatever it's gonna be really good so. and 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 i don't and none of us agree on everything right we were talking before the show even within the range master family you guys don't agree on everything but I think that's where the interesting part has. Okay, let's agree on 95, 96, 97%. And then let's throw out the other part. Well, I think this, I think this. So this other new guy, this newer generation guy, this 35-year-old kid comes up. Well, I've been seeing this. Okay, cool. Let's go from that and not just say, and not mm -hmm. just rest on our laurels and just go, we have this institutional thing of, well, you got to be a jujitsu purple belt and you got to do this and then you, know, you have to be like this and you got to do ECQC like this. No, maybe somebody else comes along and goes, yeah, you guys did good, but here's where we're at now kind of thing. And I would love nothing more than to see that next generation surpass what I'm doing, what I've done, or if I've done anything, but where they take it even further. I don't want it to be, let's, let's write this in stone and it has to be this way. Let's keep nope. going. You know, I, I you know, I, I'm friends with a bunch of the gunside instructors like Freddie Blish and Eric Galhaus and stuff like that, and, and Ken Campbell. And it's interesting. They're 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 doing everything to maintain Colonel Cooper's legacy, but they're not teaching everything exactly like it was in 1979. And, and I'd like the same thing to be said for integrated combatives. 
What's the next? Well, what's going to look like in 10 years? Because what we're teaching now, all of us, doesn't look like what it did with in 2007. And I, I'd love to see in 15 years, 20 years from now, where are we at? And I think the mm-hmm. I think the summit might be again like the Columbia Conference. Maybe it's that touchstone to launch into that next step. For oh. those that are not familiar, the Columbia Conference is what is what spawned mm-hmm. IPSC and then ultimately in the US USPSA. And then that went awry from the original foundation and then, then the same people kind of spawned IDPA, and we could make an argument that it's kind of straying from its original purpose. Uh, everything time something becomes a sport, it yeah. uh, it changes. But uh, I had an mm-hmm. epiphany the other day, and see, so I'm gonna throw this out there to you. Everything yeah. that I, it just dawned on me that if I disagree with someone on, you know, all this stuff. By definition, they're disagreeing with me. Oh. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. well, okay. Yeah. There's some, uh-huh. If I disagree with what Gaia is teaching, then Gaia is also disagreeing yeah. with yeah. me. Yeah. So it's kind of like, let's look at what we agree on. Yeah, exactly. And let's mm-hmm. not let's stop worrying so much about fighting over what we the tiny the tiny little things that we disagree on. Mm-hmm. Let's put a little more time on. Let's solidify the stuff that we agree on because we know right. it's best practices. Mm-hmm. And there's always room for there's always room for the little bits, right? Like when when I uh, when I certified guy to teach my material, I said. I'm not expecting you to teach my material exactly like I taught mm-hmm. it every single time. Do what you want with it. Mm-hmm. But I'm but I'm giving you my thumbs up that you're capable of doing that. You know, jujitsu is the same way. I don't I, I don't look like and I don't roll and, and practice and I don't have all the same exact philosophical things that my instructor has. Doesn't mean we're fighting right it's just I, I i i can have my thing and i can have and he can have his and stuff and i and i i would like more of that especially in the shooting community mm-hmm. we don't have to disagree on most stuff yeah uh I, one of the handful of handgun combatives certified instructors mm-hmm. when i teach a handgun combatives course i don't do a dave impersonation I was like, this is me teaching the material that I, as I learned it from Dave, but it's me presenting it with my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've taught a range master course where I was the lead instructor. And I said, guys, I'm not going to try to pretend to be Tom. I don't have his life experience and his things. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that Tom and I agree on. There's a lot of stuff that Dave Spalding and I agree on, but there's nuances and differences in the way I do it. I don't run a gun exactly like either one of them. Right. But that doesn't make it wrong. Uh, Brian Eastridge has been on this show numerous times, and Brian has his own show, the Off Duty On Duty podcast. It's either Off Duty On Duty or On Duty Off Duty. Brian should yeah, be. Yeah, it's one of those. Name. It's one of Brian's those. Brian's podcast. Brian with a Y. Mm-hmm. Brian's is podcast. Hanny's? It's, it's, it's Hanny's Hanny, podcast. Yeah, Hanny's Mahmood's podcast yeah. that yeah. Brian is on. Right. Yeah, we allow them to be on. Yeah, you know, and Brian was taking the Range Master instructor class. 
and like at a break or something, he calls me. He's like, hey, we were just doing a drill. Tom walked over, looked at me, looked at my target, nodded and walked off. What does that mean? <laughs> you're okay. And I said, it meant you were competent and you were okay. And he moved on down the line to somebody else he could do. He's like, good, because I didn't do it exactly like he described it and everything. You know, everything. Like, but you did it to an acceptable level and whatever. Then there's no, we're not going to have a nuance or you know, argument over thumbs. Right, right, exactly. You know, and it's exactly. Let, let's just move on. And yep. uh, you're, we're, we're, we should be working on the concept that we're trying to get across more so right. than, and, and please say, I don't have the combatives background to speak the terminology. And I, I don't know it. Like I say, ACQC, <laughs> complete combatant. Academy chicken Choked out by forest. Choked out by forest. That, that's all I know. <laughs> that's all I know. You know, I gotta, I'm sure there are arguments amongst you guys about certain technique for certain oh, things. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I gotta think there's gotta be guiding principles that you all kind of and concepts that you all kind of agree with. You might accomplish them differently, mm -hmm. but there's gotta be universal rules and concepts that you all follow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all you see that in the combat sports or what people mm -hmm. call a combat sports boxing, Thai boxing, sabak, wrestling, judo, sambo, jujitsu. Nobody, you take five boxing coaches, some, you know, guys who boxing trainers, some of the guys produce the best boxers on the, in the world, custom auto, mm -hmm. whatever. They're not going to agree on everything, but they're going to agree on the core principles are going to be the same. Five random jujitsu black belts. They're not going to agree on everything. They're not going to teach the same, but the core stuff is going to be there. The core concepts, ideas. Um, and I think maturity and self-awareness is, hey, you're doing something different, but it's this tweak here. It's this technique done slightly different, but you're doing everything you're doing that technique within this core idea, so it's legit. And I'm, I might not use your technique or your training method, but it's good and cool. I don't have to then say, well, you're, you're, you're violating the rules of the Shaolin Temple. You must be you know, <laughs> kicked out or some dumb stuff like that. It's very much core principles. And I think that's what the summit is trying to get across is like, right. let's hammer these out to where we all publicly go. Yes. We're speaking the same language. Uh, we're, we're agreeing on what we think are best practices for the most part. And then we all, when we walk away, we all have the right to say, but I like doing this. And then Craig goes, and I'll do this. And Cliff Barley goes, I do this. And Guy will say this. That's there's nothing wrong with that. Like Tom's never, you know, Tom's never once. Yeah, well, no, I say he yells at me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just because I usually am screwing something up, and he needs to vent on somebody. So, and I'm an easy target. But he's never got into the weeds of like Cecil. Your thumb needs to be exactly like this, and your pinky needs to be shifted this way. It's what's the overall thing you're doing, Cecil? 
I remember me yelling at you in a range master shotgun instructor. Class oh God. When yes, you were told yeah. which buckshot was best and you had some sort of God awful stuff that smelled Ooh. like a burnt horse as yes, you're shooting it and me yelling at you <laughs> on the line. You were told. <laughs> Cecil just sitting there just nodding. Yes, I was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and did did I argue or fight with you at all? No. I did yeah. not. And, like there's people i don't know like standing in there like why what's going on down there why is he yelling <laughs> at him and he's why is he taking that why is he taking it <laughs> because you <Yes>. were right <laughs> like one of the Tom preeminent instructors in the world told you which bug shot to bring and you brought that and i i went the the scottish <laughs> background in my in my genetic makeup made me by the whatever the european crap i bought and i saved a whole seven dollars on the whole 500 rounds. <laughs> guy had like a horsehair wadding this thick cloud S &B. of black smoke every time S &B. He fired yeah. a shot. Was yes it was uh -huh. S &B. Uh -huh. oh my yes, god i've been on the range with guys shooting that stuff it's like uh, yeah. great well if, and, the, if and, the if the bug shot didn't kill them the gas cloud did yeah <laughs> the, the stink would just and and I was shooting my 1301. So you know it's not the gun. But when, <laughs> when eight or nine rounds are like here at five yards, you're kind of like, oh, this is going to be really hard to pass the final test shooting yeah. this crap. Uh -huh. So, but Lee yelled at me, but then, uh, then he, uh, he gathered up 20 rounds of uh, uh, flight control. And flight said, control. <laughs> yeah, go save this. For the test, and I and I did. Uh -huh. yeah. All right, <laughs> guy. What do you have upcoming, and where can people find you? Um, oh, any well, any uh, other final thoughts you guys need to on the combative stuff before we go to the wrap up? Go ahead, you no. go. Go ahead, guy. I think the combative stuff is going to be great. Um, I think everybody should be training combatives, but I'm biased. I really love the the zero to five foot range stuff. Um, as far as what I got coming on, um, best way to find me is through Palisade Training Group, uh, ptgtrainingllc.com. We've got several classes going on. Uh, in fact, I'm up in Pennsylvania right now with my partners, Steve Moses and Alan B. Um, teaching. We did pistol-mounted optic today, and then we got church security class uh, tomorrow and Saturday. Um, we do That's one of our, our big bread and butter is a church security class, and then we do a uh, home defense shotgun class and then pistol mounted optics and uh, we've got a couple other classes we'll do like gunfighting in crowds and you know do which is an amalgamation of a lot of stuff we could learn through civil works and we put together ourselves and um other zero to five foot range um but um and then i have my own little company called dfw defensive training where i'm right now it started off to be hosting and over the last year or so it has turned into more being my coaching page and teaching page so you can find me through DFW Defensive Training on uh, Facebook and DFW Defensive on Instagram. I have a website, but I hate working on websites. <laughs> so it's really dated. <laughs> I need to go update it. But um, yeah. yeah, those two two areas is where you can find me, two locations you can find me. All right, Cecil, any final thoughts on the combative stuff and where can people find you? This is the yeah, part, Cecil, where like you tell people actually where they can find your business. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. It's sinking in. It's sinking in. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to the summit. I love the idea, you know, as a as a martial art and um, fighting combatives nerd. I love the idea of 
the Columbia Conference, the Scout Rifle Conference, all those kind of things. And to try to recreate, not recreate it, that's the wrong term, but to try to follow that model with this integrated combatives thing, I'm just, it just excites me. The fact that maybe the future of all this is going to be secure and there's going to be pathways. I just love that idea so much. So I think the summit's going to be fun. I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to it. There's got like, I've, I've been on podcasts and I've messaged with Matt Larson, but I've never met him face to face. I mean, oh, man, how, what, what, what can he teach me so much stuff. So I'm looking forward to that just from a selfish point of view. Um, mm -hmm. People can find me. You can go um, iacombatives.com. It's my webpage. And again, I'm like, guy, you know, it's WordPress. I'm doing the minimal I can to keep things updated. So I try to, you know, I try to put blog articles up and, um, and at least my seminar schedule. Or you can go to my Facebook or Instagram is, or YouTube is Immediate Action Combatives. Um, none of those are monetized, so you don't have to deal with a lot of commercials and stuff. I, you know, everybody tells me, oh, you, you, you got so many subscribers, you should do this. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't feel beholden to, I don't want to be, be beholden to, oh, I've got to churn out another video. I put out video that I think's worthwhile. Um, and I'm not going to stress myself out if I'm, you know, like last night I was at the Academy at eight 30 in the morning. I got, I walked in the door last night at nine 45 at night. I'm not carving out time in the middle of the day. Oh, I got to do this five minute video for, for YouTube because people are paying for it. Um, but you can go to any of those and, and see, you know, see some of the videos I've got on the YouTube channel. I've got like a 10 part video series on what I considered my foundational material on the ground. And it's just out, it's literally everything I teach on, you know, the, the basics of what I teach on the ground. Um, so if people like it, then they can come check me out. Um, you can do iacombatus.com or my Facebook page. Um, where else? Oh, and my academy, again, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, North Phoenix. Um, and again, we've got a Facebook page for that too. But again, we're not the best. My partner and I are not the best at putting stuff up the way we should. Uh, we're too busy teaching and training imagine that um what i got coming up um i'm teaching my immediate action combative stuff in tacoma or outside seattle in october um i've got two classes there are two iterations of my class that i teach with daryl bulky and chuck haggard um uh, non-permissive invite counter robbery mpe counter robbery which i think is a really cool course i i really like that a lot i think it's very useful um so we got uh, first of September, we're in Escondido, and then in October, we're in it's outside Fort Worth. I can't, yeah, uh, range 35, range 35, just, and it's just a, it's, yeah, it's south of Fort it, Worth. Is it uh, yeah. like not, not Granbury, um, something like that, Grandview, Grandview, yeah, Grandview, 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 Grandview yeah. Um, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. I, I like teaching that class, I like, hey, you know, I like teaching with Daryl and Chuck, that's that's fun. Um, I don't, I, I kind of like this year on my seminars. I'm kind of shifting a lot to 24 just because I had to keep, you know, open the Academy, get it going, make sure that that's a, a you know, a viable, profitable thing. So now that we're kind of cruising along well, that uh, 24, I'll start getting back onto the seminar gig and uh, start doing stuff. I'll probably be in North Carolina, Apache, uh, Tim Kelly's group, Apache. Apache Solutions. Solutions. Yeah, Apache Solutions. Solutions yep. Yeah, they're hosting me probably in mid-January. 
mid-January. So I'll have a lot more in 24, but the website will have all that information here soon. Um, but yeah, come check me out. NPE, I think it's a great class. Uh, check it out in Lacey, Washington for our IEC. And just want to hit me up and just say, I'm an idiot. And you thought this was the worst podcast since the last time Hearn was on? Go ahead and email me. Pow, pow, pow. He thought he, thought he was going to make it through an entire Lee Ream show and not get hammered. Yeah. What was bad was when he came on the most recent time, he hermed himself. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah, the Apache Solutions the guys are in Yadkinville, which is just north of Charlotte. Just go straight yeah. up I-77, yep. uh, mm -hmm. 45 minutes or so, maybe an hour yep. north of Charlotte. Yeah. Um, as far as the MPE counter-robbery class, there are two prior episodes of the number yep. one podcast that's recorded in my kitchen. Uh, <laughs> there are two prior episodes, one where they talked about the class upcoming, and then we did one where we had a paddle on students on. So yep. if you are interested in that, go back and listen to those two episodes and give you a good foundation. Yes, raise, raise those numbers above all of Hearn's episodes, so please re-download those. <laughs> yeah. uh, September the 23rd, I have a trigger management class in Cisco, Georgia, which is up near Dalton, Georgia, which is near Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, for reference. Uh, that class had nobody signed up for the longest time, and I was thought we were going to have to cancel it, and all of a sudden, it's started going to the point i'm looking like oh maybe I, uh, I got that both with i have the same thing with both of the mpe classes it's been the same way it's been very slow and then all of a sudden as we're getting closer people are signing up and then the last weekend in october i think that's the 28th and 29th but whatever the last weekend in october is i have red hill range which is in martin georgia which is take a left just before you get to south carolina if you're going up by 85 um, I have Red Hill Range Reserved, and I am doing an instructor camp uh, focusing on the topic of interleaving. And that's a that's a training method that I've become very much interested in. I've seen some great results in my own practice regimen by doing it. And so what we're going to do on the first day of that is I'm going to give you a short classroom block on interleaving. And then we're going to go to the range, and I'm going to run you through a series of interleaved drills where I'm going to teach you why we're doing those. And it's something on that just activated my Siri. What I said. That's great. That was interesting. That's, that's and I can't great. make it stop. All right. So <laughs> I've never had that happen in the middle of that's cool. Everything. Uh, so classroom session followed by a range session where I run you through a group of drills that I have either developed or selected uh, to teach the whole concept of interleaving and how it all works together. And then we're going to go back to the classroom and you're going to start working on developing your own or selecting. You can take a drill that someone else has done. Interleaving drill, and we're going to plan that out. And then all the second day is all of the other students are now your students. And you get to run the drill that you develop or select with them as your audience, but you have to explain why you selected it, what you're trying to teach and accomplish. Oh. You get to run a line of students through drills because, you know, a lot of the firearms instructors, you know, they teach one-on-one -on -one lessons. They don't get a lot of experience running a line until they actually get out during classes. Okay, well, here's a non-threatening environment, a supportive environment to come. If you screw up, we're going to keep you from running off the cliff. Oh. You know, come get a chance to run a line where you're not 
doing it in front of a paid group of students. You're not trying to sell it anything. You know, come run, run, run the lines, do this stuff and run through your drills. You'll pick up stuff that the other, other students develop mm -hmm. and select and come up with. And what our goal is, is that participants go away with more confidence in running, running a line, that they understand the concept and that they leave with a pocket full of drills and teaching points that they can go back and intermix into uh, their students, uh, you know, their teaching curriculum. I got to tell you, when I found out, you know, started studying this concept and really started putting it together, um, it really helped me finally grasp how to run the dot on top of a guy. Mm. And no, but you hate the dot. How is that possible? Uh, yeah, hate I hate it. Yeah. And You're so, dot. you know, I really think that now I can take you in a short amount of time, show you some things on the presentation, and then start running you through some of these drills, and I can shortcut mm -hmm. your path uh, oh. to learning how to, how to run run the dot. Yep. Uh, you got to be some sort of instructor to come to the to the thing. Range master, handgun mm -hmm. combat as a law enforcement, you know, something like that to to get in. Uh, and that's just basically so I don't have people showing up that I got to teach how to draw a pistol. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just a <laughs> screening mechanism. Uh, for this, it, but it's going to be a very much an interactive learning environment. You shall we'll probably you'll probably end up teaching as much as you end up learning, and um, I'm I'm really excited about it. Nobody has signed up yet, so yeah. Uh, but that's that's the market now. Everybody's yeah. waiting till the last minute, though. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, financially, uh, I am not doing myself any favors because I would make much more money running two one day classes on the range that we again that I have it reserved uh, because the price that I set for this thing includes uh, all the range fees Ooh. Uh, I'm providing target now if you have something specific you want bring it but I'm renting the steel I'm renting you know I'm bringing my own steel I'm renting the range of steel uh, bringing a sub vast supply of targets all that kind of stuff so that you can go look at it and select what you want to do everything else and so I basically really, you're saying you're not a businessman is basically what you're saying right i went to the cecil birch school of business and, uh, <laughs> that explains me that explains it now <laughs> and i got whatever is lower than an associate's degree for, for, from it. so uh which is probably which is the highest degree they grant and uh speaking of degrees i did something foolish today uh I applied. I applied to go back to graduate school for another. Oh, run, good lord! Another, another run. You, another you run. are a glutton for punishment. Yeah. Is this third, yeah. fourth masters you're working on now? Uh, I have a masters. This will be a graduate certificate program in adult education. Oh, okay. And um, uh, I just wanted to combine some study and kind of doing it as a memorial to my daddy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Is what it is. Like it. And, like that. Um, you know, one of the things he always told me was if he ever learned how to read and write, and I was telling him what he could have accomplished. And uh, <laughs> and so that's one of the you know it's, he's always pushed us into mm -hmm. into education and stuff. And um, mm -hmm. he was a trainer in the military. I ret retired as a corporate trainer, and it's like I was kind of you know. Wanted to do something and got to look at this. I actually wrote a recommendation for someone we all know to get into the program. Oh, and I can't. It better, not, it better not have been Hearn. If it's no. Hearn, no, we got no. a problem. 
No. And, uh, <laughs> I kept looking at the program and looking at the program and looking at it. And it's like, you know what? Rather than just going buying something or I'm going to do something that would have mattered to him. Oh, that's cool. And, I like that. You know, it's awesome. I like that. So, and it keeps me from staring at my walls because I'll be too busy to stare at my walls. I'll be looking at, <laughs> at a computer screen. So, yeah, like I needed something else to do with three jobs. And, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, so sign up for instructor camp interleaving. The last what, was the date? what was the dates on that one again? The last weekend in October. Okay. So it'll be okay. great weather in North Georgia. Yeah. Is, is there Georgia. ever great weather? The last weekend in October probably is about it. Yeah. <laughs> one week. The one week. Yeah. Yeah. We get that in like one weekend in April and that's it. Um, Martin, Georgia is halfway between Atlanta and Greenville. So flying to Atlanta, flying to Greenville, South Carolina. And, you know, you get there an hour or so from each place, depending on Atlanta traffic. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's what I've got scheduled for the rest of the year. Uh, we had the rank by the time this episode plays, the ranch master reunion will be over. So there's no need in, in talking about yep. it. But uh, that's all what's coming up. And guys, I appreciate you coming on tonight. Well, I appreciate always- you giving us the opportunity to to mouth off and talk about <laughs> stuff that we love. Yeah. You know, yes, and make fools of ourselves. So it's good. There you go. Well, the bonus Thank is you. you got to pick on her. So, which, oh, which is great. I'll move heaven and earth to get a chance to do that. <laughs> and, Thank you. you. Know, I, I appreciate you guys taking the time to come on tonight. I know you've both been on numerous times before, and I always appreciate you guys taking the time to come on. And to the audience, we know that your most important asset is your time. Thank you for choosing to spend it with us.